Good afternoon. My name is Keith, and I'll be your conference operator today. Welcome to Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies' first Beltway Briefing Policy Spotlight Call, highlighting the politics and policy of cannabis. Our call today will be moderated by Blake Rutherford, a member of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Our speakers are Mark Alderman, Jim Davis, Howard Schweitzer, and Allison Wills of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will be available after the call at copublicstrategies.com as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. To submit live questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Thank you, and thanks, everybody, for joining us um, for what I hope is, is a dynamic and, and interesting discussion about an issue that um, is in the headlines almost daily, which is cannabis and the future of cannabis, both here in Pennsylvania and across the country. My name is Blake Rutherford. I'm joined by Mark Alderman, uh, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, as well as two of our uh, governmental affairs specialists, Allison Wills and Jim Davis. Uh, welcome. Let's talk about cannabis, Mark. I am. Um, I think it's an endlessly fascinating topic um, for the very obvious reason, which I know you're going to tee up, which is we are we are uh, in a we are in a national state of play where. Across the country, um, states are considering either medical cannabis or recreational cannabis um, or both. And the question is, how? How is this happening? Um, and, and how is it happening in a Republican administration where the attorney general um, initially was, I would dare to say, unfavorable towards this, this entire thing? But it, but it, but it does predate them. Yeah. So, Mark, I thought we'd start with you, and and I'm just curious, sort of, what's your perspective on, on you know, kind of the overall political dynamic in Washington, um, and sort of the dynamism between DOJ and the states. Good. Good. Happy to uh, start it off. Good to be with you again, Blake. And I should probably begin as I begin every meeting uh, on this subject. And we've had a lot of meetings, Jim and I especially, because we're very involved in representing clients uh, in this industry. I usually begin the meetings by saying, I want to thank you all for joining me this morning to conspire to commit a federal felony because that is the beginning of any discussion of marijuana, medical, recreational, otherwise. It is still a crime in the United States of America at the federal level for anyone to grow or process or dispense or even use cannabis. And that is a fact wildly at odds with the fact, which we're going to get into a little later, that we have 29 states that have in some manner legalized the use of cannabis. So how how does that happen? That's a great way to begin this discussion. It is a subject where everybody is someplace you don't expect them to be. It has really gotten people backwards, in Washington especially. You have the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions, uh, very opposed to marijuana and insisting on the supremacy of federal law 
and the sovereignty of the federal government, notwithstanding his entire career, which may stretch back to the Civil War, he's been doing this a long time, his entire career has been states' rights. And as we were joking, although it may not be a joke, like he may believe in John C. Calhoun's nullification doctrine, which said we all remember that a state can reject any federal law it doesn't like, and here he is the champion, the champion of federal law at the expense of the states. This week you had Chuck Schumer standing on the floor of the United States Senate, passionately arguing for states' rights in this area and passionately arguing for federalism, which is uh, the opposite of his career, where he has been an extraordinarily strong advocate for central government and federal rule. So Howard is going to explain to us how everybody got <laughs> got backwards on this. <laughs> well, it, in looking at the, the politics around the issue, um, you, you know, you have to be, you have to look at why. It's not... This isn't a macro issue. It is very much a macro issue in the public consciousness, but it is a micro issue for each individual member in terms of the positions they take. Um, Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader in the Senate, recently um, fast-tracked a piece of legislation on hemp, which has a much lower concentration of, of THC than than medical or recreational cannabis, but he fast-tracked the bill because Kentucky farmers want to grow hemp in the place of tobacco because they're planting fewer tobacco plants. And you have to drill down to the level of um, micro-politics, constituent politics, and money, frankly, to understand um, where people are, are, are coming at this. And you have to look then moving back up at electoral politics. This issue uh, is not exclusive to Republicans or Democrats, not exclusive to Democrats in terms of favoring legalization broadly. Um, If you look at a very superficial level at the, the opinion polls of Republicans, You'll now see that a majority of Republicans support legalization, but if you drill down to an age um, demographic, a much higher concentration of likely voters disfavor legalization, and that is more the case on the Republican side, of, of course, because younger voters favor legalization, younger voters tend to vote more Democratic. So of course the and Democrats tend not to vote. Right. <laughs> tend not to vote and those that vote vote on the D side. So of course Chuck Schumer is going to come out with a bill favoring legalization because it's good electoral politics. So you really have to um, think about this the way and you think about any other issue in terms of looking at, at, at the politics. You know, I'm 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 fascinated by <clears throat> the evolution of the Justice Department, because this issue is is not new. States have been at this since um, before President Trump came into office and before Jeff Sessions um, became attorney general. So 
I thought we might kind of back up a little bit and and think about how we got here and 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 sort of what's happened and what's going on at DOJ, Ali, and kind of what there's been a lot of talk about memos and policies and posturing and kind of where where does it sit at the Department of Justice today in terms of 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 their either commitment to being hands off or their commitment to muddying the waters even more depending on the whims of of their their mighty leader in the west wing and i'm just going to add uh, one word to that which is authority where does it stand with their authority to mm-hmm. act right right so i mean to start off yes they muddied the waters they muddied the waters in january that's when Sessions took his, his action and rescinded what we know as the coal memo. And this is just pertaining to medicinal marijuana as, as opposed to recreational use. Um, just as a little bit of background, uh, a few years ago under the prior administration, the coal memo was issued to provide some clarification about your ability to um, use a medicinal marijuana in states where it was authorized and legalized, and then a restriction you know, of federal funds in order to pursue enforcement activities. That also is combined, not just with the coal memo, not just what's actually happening at the DOJ, but what's happening on the Hill. And what is happening on the Hill is very important in terms of how we look at this interplay with the DOJ, because you have kind of a classic tension here between, again, it's a bipartisan issue, not just your, you know, agency Hill conflict, and it's not a Republican or Democratic issue. It's to where they're sitting. It's it's a complex sort of web (laughs) of people advocating for and against. But yeah, the water has been muddied. It's not clear yet. What we know as of right now is that in March, there was some language that was included which extended an important provision. A lot of people know it as the Rohrabacher Blumenauer Amendment or the Rohrabacher Farr Amendment, depending on how long you've been in this sort of <laughs> Been in this world. game, yeah. yeah. Uh, but what that does is it helps uh, restrict uh, federal funds um, for enforcement activities like we were just talking about. So. You know, that dynamic is important. What the DOJ is doing is obviously important, but what the DOJ is not doing has also got the attention of Congress. And so, you know, Howard and I are up on the Hill all the time talking to folks, you know, who are for or against uh, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana, some combination thereof, trying to get a sense of what's actually happening on the Hill. Yeah, and you and I were talking just yesterday. I mean, this is a pretty organized endeavor. I mean, we've got a Cannabis Caucus, um, and Hill activity seems to be very organized and um, and and sort of, I would say, active mm-hmm. in and around this issue. Would you agree with that? I think I'm going to just jump in, if I may, to, to say, Mr. Moderator, uh, it is organized in Congress, and Ali's going to explain that in one minute. It is not that well organized from the outside looking in. There, there's interestingly not a an organized or ready for prime time lobbying effort around this in Washington because historically it has been people who wanted to use marijuana well, who have driven it and it's only now that institutions like the American Bankers Association mm-hmm are starting to pay attention. Well, part of the reason is because it's it's how you define it. It is not one thing. Recreational is very different than medicinal, is very different than hemp, and there are 
75 different permutations of rules and regulations and laws on each. Yeah. So that's, I think, the organization on the Hill that we have seen is an attempt to kind of get arms around all of that, but right. then each issue is is lobbied and approached on a very individualized basis. So it's and and, and the groups that have been doing this historically. I think are viewed more through the lens of 1970s, as you were saying, Jim, reefer madness, as opposed to um, organized and focused um, lobbying efforts. So it, it's it, it, we're seeing a change in real time. Yeah, and sorry, just to provide some more color on that in terms of what the it is. I mean, right now we have over 40 bills on candidates alone. You know, bicameral, bipartisan on a number of issues. You know, we're alluding some of the issues with banking, so that's a big, a big facet of this. And then there's also your ability to tax and regulate, and removing, you know, your bans on industrial hemp, which is the McConnell bill, and then for the Schumer bill, which is like decriminalization, you know, declassification. Um, you know, and then some bills even go further than that, looking at the criminality and looking at to expunge records mm -hmm. and things. So we really have like a full spectrum here, and I didn't even touch on the VA rights issues and additional research. Issues. Yeah, and I want to come. I want to come back to that, but but sort of sticking with the how this, you know, Howard made the point earlier of interest in this is is kind of both wide and deep, and by deep I mean it's very specific to your state and your constituency. It's wide in the sense of this now has national implications. Mark, 29 states um, have passed it. And, and again, Allie, to, to your point as well, um, bipartisan in that regard, a lot of red states, including my home state, um, have, have gone down the medicinal route. Um, and people who would otherwise be, I think, staunch opponents to that, I think about my friend Tom Cotton, um, who are hands off on this issue because it's what voters in Arkansas wanted, right. which well, is it, which is just is, an interesting dynamic. It, it, it really is. I think a fascinating dynamic. Fascinating yeah. dynamic. As I say, everybody's someplace you don't expect them to be. Tom Cotton certainly included on that list. But there's another word that I think God mentioned that we we really should shine a light on, and that is money. It is not only what the constituents of Arkansas want and medical, again, Howard's very different than recreational. Arkansas is a medical mm -hmm. state. Medical, medical is medicine, and it's harder to be against medicine than against getting high, which is what recreational ultimately is. But there is revenue. There is a revenue opportunity for the states in the states that have passed a program that is heavily taxed. And it is something that red states and blue states both need. And I, I think if you follow the money, you'll you'll see a, a lot of the, right. the explanation of why people are in a place you wouldn't expect them to be. You know, it's interesting. I come back to the state. I remember um, when Colorado went, went down this road and the complexities um, that it, in talking to their, to my counterparts in their attorney's general office um, about all of the things that they couldn't foresee when this process began. Um, it, everything from, the, we've seen some pretty interesting stuff even locally on thing, you know, permitting issues and 
How are we going to create a licensing program? How are we going to award those licenses? In Arkansas, the judge just threw out the entire scheme because it seemed to be just rampantly rampant with corruption. Uh, whether that's true or not, we'll see. Um, but but there and to your point, Mark, there is a lot of money in this for a lot of different interests, um, not American just Bankers Association, not an association you ordinarily pair up with normal, the National Organization to Reform Marijuana Laws. The ABA is very engaged on this because their member banks want the business opportunity to bank the marijuana business. Yep. I, I think where I see this going on the on the federal level, and you guys are closer to it day to day um, on the state level, but um, certainly you are, Jim and Mark. What what I see this what I see happening on the federal level is a couple of things. One is, I mean, everybody's now talking because John Boehner joined the board of a, a, a cannabis company, like, you know, the floodgates are opening and, and Earl Blumenauer, who's the leading Democrat in the House on this issue, is talking about the next Congress, if it flips to, to being a Democratic-controlled Congress, um, uh, you know, that they would legalize. It, this isn't about hitting a grand slam. It's about hitting singles and maybe doubles over time to get to the point where um, things change. So I, I think that continues and legalization, which is what everybody kind of talks about is in my opinion, yeah. not around the corner. It's probably not what happens next. It's not what happens next. But you put your finger on something that's very important to highlight, I think, as with so much that we have discussed in other calls, the control of the House of Representatives is going to be very, very consequential yeah. for yeah. this issue. The reason that legislation in the House goes nowhere, mm -hmm. where legislation in the Senate is at least considered, is another guy named Sessions, not Jeff Sessions, but Pete Sessions, who is a congressman from, I believe, Texas, 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 who is the chairman of the House Rules Committee, and he won't let anything out right. because he, too, is a big opponent of any legislation on, on marijuana. He will no longer be the chairman of the Rules Committee should the Democrats take the House. And that just as an inside baseball, you know, Washington procedural matter is going to open up the opportunity to look at some of this. Yeah. I think the other prediction I would make is um, research, uh, which maybe is a good segue to um, to Pennsylvania. But it, to me, um, there's there's all this activity, but the studies are not not out there to to necessarily support the the, the benefits yet. And I think Allie and the bills we've looked at and, and the, the conversations we've been having up on the Hill, it seems like the pieces of legislation with the most momentum are things that authorize or, or require studies mm -hmm. to be done. And, and that's kind of what I mean in terms of hitting singles, not grand mm -hmm. slams. And it's incremental change, which in the long run adds up to bigger change. And I want to, because Ali touched on this point earlier, and it's, and it's a nice segue to that, which is, sort of the why, 
it's money, but it's other things. I mean, we are we are starting to see, and we're seeing attitudes change, um, and perspectives change about the value of of med- of medicinal. We'll stick to medicinal for for now. The value of medicinal and the difference it makes in in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought we might touch on. I mean, the opioid issue is a national crisis that's really not not up for debate. But Ali, I thought we might touch on a couple of the things that you're seeing when when you are up on the hill that people are talking about that that really kind of raise the stakes in terms of why this why this now is a truly bipartisan issue becoming more of an organized issue and having effect out in the states. Right. So this isn't to overlook the importance of money, which I do think is the common thread. But some of the national dialogue that's really, I think, raising the profile of this even further is really three things. One is opioids, one is the other is mental health, and then the third is veterans. And you can actually tie all three together. And when you tie all three of those together, you have a very powerful sort of messaging. Um, and it's just you're able to reach a lot of new people in different areas. So some of these bills that you see, they're sitting before the Veterans Affairs Committees. Again, tying back to Howard's last point, for studies, because they want to see, you know, can we have medicinal cannabis for veterans? Would this be effective? And it, and it brings in a lot of things, again, to Mark's point about the importance of this commi- commi- these committees. You have judiciary, commerce, and rules that are really critical. The House flips. All three of those committees will be uh, headed up by very pro-marijuana Democrats. And so having these conversations, having the national narratives, because the opioid crisis is not going to be solved this year <laughs> or in the next few years. Neither is mental health and neither are veterans affairs, health care issues or access issues. So we're going to continue having those conversations. But being able to tie that into the cannabis, to research, to you know the, the overall narrative, while you're starting to see at the state level Jim can talk more about this, you know, increased activity, research, more money at the state level. And now you start to see, you know, I'm an Oregonian. I think we might be the one predictable delegation. We are very. <laughs> you're an Oregonian. You're also a millennial. You're a real live millennial. Actually. I am. I am. Here to it's not about money at yeah. all. No. <laughs> it's about that other issue. Right. That other issue. Yeah. We don't dislike the money. But, yeah. So, I mean, you're starting to see some data. You're starting to see some returns you know, in terms of what's happening at the state level. Well, and I think the lid that the federal government has put on this entire industry is is basically that. If, if you take that lid off, research opens up, which will allow the medical community to have more comfort in the validity of it. There are studies. They're just not American studies. Israel, various countries in Europe, and so they're referred to as anecdotal evidence in the United States because it's not American medicine. But you know, you legitimize the the banking part of it, which if I'm in the IRS, that's what I want because then you can actually track the flow of the money rather than we know there's money out there and operators have to find a creative way to move it around again illegally. Right. But you know, if you look at the the heat map of marijuana laws throughout the states. It, it, it does reflect an electoral college similarity. I mean, you have 29 states, if you mentioned, an additional 19 have passed laws that, uh, or ballot reform that, that gives some sort of indication that they are at least affirmative towards medical cannabis. Now, like Pennsylvania being first in the nation doing research, some of those states may have gotten it wrong when they did it, and they, they have flawed programs, which, again, with trying to figure out how to thread the needle of federal government or federal oversight, 
was a challenge. And <clears throat> candidly, that's a challenge that we had to deal with in Pennsylvania, trying to come up with the nation's first research program that was funded by the industry. And elaborate a little bit when you say research program. Um, I mean, are are we we're talking about partnerships? We're talking about partnerships with universities. We're talking about um, sort of walk me through how how that how that works and how you see that program evolving. Well, let me let me level set it. Conventionally, research would be handled by the state. So you have collection of funds to fund the research, and then the state approve the research. And we all know, add another layer layer to state government or bureaucracy, it's going to present challenges, especially with medicine. Um, some of our uh, some of our clients and 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 people that that we all do business with came up with an idea that said, let's let the people that know medicine best, which are the medical schools, kind of drive the research, um, and then let's also try to take the part of the um, part of the equation out uh, with respect to how the, how it's funded, and let's let's let it be funded by their partners. And we've come up with, I think, again, it's been recognized as first in the nation, and possibly will. Uh, hopefully move the needle to the federal government looking at the, the industry differently, but uh, it will allow the medical community, specifically the medical schools, to identify the conditions that medical marijuana could possibly help. And Maybe that's anecdotal evidence from outside of the country, or maybe it's what they're hearing on the street. Again, we, we can't overlook the fact that there's a black market here. And the, the momentum, like everything in politics and now everything in society, uh, is about this is a, a new form of medicine. It's not going to replace anything. Maybe it will, but uh, it's, it's just another tool in the toolbox, as I like to say, to treat opioids, to treat a, uh, PTSD. You know, obviously, at veterans' hospitals, that that pre presents a problem for them because it's a federally run veterans' hospital. So, again, back to how I started, take the lid off, and a lot of these things I think can be addressed. It's really interesting stuff. We got to get a we got to get a VA secretary confirmed first, Mark. Um, we do, and uh, we're probably going to have a new nominee. Yeah. But that's a different call. Yeah. I'm, I'm ready for that call. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, but, but I do do want to follow up on what Jim said. The, the importance of the research can't be overstated because, as as Jim said, as we all know. There is very little medical research, scientific research into marijuana in this country because it has been a Schedule One drug. And to do research, you've had to thread a needle at the Department of, uh, or I'm sorry, the Drug Enforcement Agency at the DEA. Mm -hmm. All the marijuana for research was grown at the University of Mississippi. It was one strain. You couldn't test whether different strains were better for treating mm -hmm. different conditions. And you had to have DEA supervision that, um, that chilled the ability to do pharmaceutical-grade research, mm -hmm. let's call it. The effort here in Pennsylvania is to create a program that will fit inside the current state of federal law, more importantly, will evolve and develop as federal law in Washington evolves and develops. But it is research to test the efficacy of particular strains of medical cannabis 
for particular medical conditions. And if that evidence can be gathered and if the belief is proven out that indeed this can be good medicine, good medicine for kids with seizures, good medicine for vets with PTSD, good medicine for people addicted to opioids, that is going to accelerate the change. This is a yin-yang thing going back and forth here as change starts to loosen up the opportunity to research, research is going to start to accelerate the change. Yeah, I, I think that's, I, I think it it, it is fascinating. And, and, I, and I know both of you worked intimately on the on the Pennsylvania program. So I think it's a it's a compelling case study, as you said, Jim, first first in the nation to to think through the the value um, that research will have, which of course is also very good for the institutions that that participate in that work, which is which is terrific. Um, I want to I want to sort of think about as this entire scheme evolves. We Howard touched on Mitch McConnell's engagement in this because tobacco farming is diminishing, but there's land, and how do you how do you make best use of that land? And so hemp is hemp is something that 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 um, those farmers are interested in. And we are seeing growers across the country in terms of in terms of shifting priorities if they can if they can participate um, in in the state regulatory scheme. Mark, I was curious because um, because I'm also interested. You mentioned pharmaceuticals. Um, is this something that that over time we see potentially the pharmaceutical industry taking a a much deeper dive into? And then, Howard, I'd be interested based on and Ali too. I mean, jump in on the McConnell front because obviously I just think about big tobacco and I think about I think about whether whether there there's a you know, there's a vested interest at some point in time. So maybe we'll start with pharmaceuticals and then we can come to tobacco. Yeah, although I'm going to, with your uh, permission, touch on, on those two both and a third. There are sort of three big deal businesses in this country that people speculate may be the end game for, for the marijuana industry. Pharmaceutical is certainly one. Big tobacco is another. Alcohol is the third. And it will be interesting to see what the market tells us. None of them, not one of those three, is going to get very far into this until things really loosen up in Washington. Because they are not going to rely on state law alone for their protection uh, if they get into it. But I... I think what you are seeing, certainly in Pennsylvania, Jim, we're familiar with this, even the grower processors um, and dispensaries who are not participating in the research program are setting up pharmaceutical-grade facilities because they believe that's where this is going, at least with medical in Pennsylvania. So my, my vote is that it leans pharmaceutical. I don't see tobacco being the, the winner in the market. And that leaves alcohol in, in the middle. Yeah. <clears throat> Allie Howard, any, any other comments? 
Well, I think the distinction here is important. So, yes, McConnell's interested in advancing sort of cannabis-adjacent legislation, yeah, right. but that distinction is important. I mean, he wrote an opinion article himself where he said that he didn't even refer to marijuana or cannabis. He said it's illicit cousin of hemp. So, like, there's still a very important distinction here. I feel like I've been called an illicit cousin. <laughs> That's, That's also a, another yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think the distinction matters, and I think that Mark is right. I think that until there is more clarity and consistency from federal and state law, I mean, like you know this, tobacco, for example, heavily regulated, already not the clearest system. And we already know <laughs> who gets to regulate that and call the shots. And so by adding on a whole other layer of confusion, complication, regulatory burden, administrative costs, I just don't see the ROI there you know, until there's some clarity um, on the legal front. Well, and, you, and, and if you look at the people who are engaging at the state level, these are independent consortiums. You're not seeing, to your point, Mark, conglomerates come in and try and gobble up licenses and, and, and try and participate that way. This is... You're seeing, interestingly, you're seeing cannabis conglomerates. Right, arise. right, right. That's, that was, that's yeah, what the market making. Yeah. to date with that federal lid Jim talked about being so such a, a low ceiling, the market has created cannabis conglomerates. Mm-hmm. And in fact, in Pennsylvania, a little bit, Jim, to the uh, disappointment of some of us, the Department of Health in the first round of applications was heavily biased in favor of the national players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, yeah. I think it's. I mean, again, as some you, of them like a big business now. Some of them mm-hmm. are trying to figure out how to monetize their business, their their business advantage, their right. permits. It's very hard to go public mm-hmm. when you're engaged in a federal felony for a living. Mm-hmm. So uh, there, there's a fascinating financial market piece to this also. And, and what you're really seeing is private equity emerging mm-hmm. as the the financier of yep. the cannabis industry. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And um and and it it does it has created I mean I think because you know you see so Jim, you see so many dollar signs um up against an investment that while substantial it pales in in comparison to the potential. Well, and I mean, Mark was was going down the right path because it is a medical grade endeavor with medical marijuana. It's indoor grown, which is a yep. high cost uh, for, from not only building a facility but utilization of electricity, water. I mean, it's all artificial light to grow. So mm-hmm. these are these are very costly operational endeavors that. And you you would think you would need either people that are already in the business or have access to capital, mm-hmm. um, whereas hemp is more of a crop, mm-hmm. more durable to sustain the environmental, you know, whether it's a drought or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's it's much more of an agricultural type of conversation where farmers are saying, I'm able to, to, to farm my land, acres and acres of land, and that's not the same conversation on the medical marijuana side. To the point where I, I do believe if even if the states as a whole or individually go down the recreational path, um, there will still be a significant opportunity for for medical marijuana in the market, whether it's for specific conditions, 
PTSD and the, and the affliction that your, your child is suffering. Um, but I, I do think the market and, and including Wall Street are looking five, 10 years down the road if this does go in a direction that it should go. I mean, you have 89% uh, approval rating among voters with medical marijuana, over 85 with Republicans and over 95 with Democrats. That's a political uh, yeah, symbol right there. As a political matter, and Howard, you were touching on this, and I'm curious what, what you think, but I'm sitting here thinking while you're talking, Jim, as a political matter, this reminds me of gay marriage in the sense that the country's already decided. The United States of America has decided we're going down this marijuana road. The government hasn't caught up with the country yet on it. And we saw a similar thing with gay marriage where it had happened. It was a fact of life in the United States, and it took a while to the Supreme Court, frankly, to get the federal government and some states to catch up with it. But it got there, and this will too. I, I, if marijuana survives the Trump administration, Nothing is going to happen to turn back the the direction it's going. Ar arguably, um, the opposite. <laughs> it's going to accelerate it because it will have survived the biggest right. threat. Right. Um, exactly. But it, but I think this is fundamentally. This isn't just a political or a societal issue. This is a scientific issue, mm -hmm. and obviously, as it relates to the medical application, not the recreational application, well, but... But um, it's scientific also in the sense, Howard, that, and, and we don't have the research on it yet in this country, right. we do elsewhere, but what research exists suggests that marijuana is not, in fact, a gateway drug, that marijuana, in fact, is less dangerous and costly to individuals and society than alcohol, and that's why I said a minute ago, the more research, the more acceptable this is going to become. Do you think there's a uh, that this has that this is a deeper issue though politically? Um, is it is it is it about is it really about the benefits of cannabis or is it really about getting the government off my back and out of my decisions? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and I think, I mean, Absolutely again, because, as well. well, and, and uh, well, that's why people end up in, in backwards positions on it. Right. I mean, there's, uh, and, and again, we could, we could play this out because there's certainly a criminal justice component no, here no that, doubt. that, um, that I think gets particularly is, it is very, very difficult to grapple with. We talk about that a lot, but if there's a, you know, uh, it's something that isn't front and center, but I I would expect over time will become um, a, a talking point, particularly um, but, uh, for those that again, represent districts where there is mass incarceration yeah. and has been for Absolutely. for possession of marijuana. Yeah, and in, in terms of uh, get the government off my back, tell the government to leave my Medicare alone. This was famously. Yeah unintelligibly said in the ACA debate, many of the staunchest opponents of liberalizing marijuana laws in Washington 
are people who every day are screaming, get the government off my back, get it out of my life, get it out of my business, except when it comes to marijuana. Yeah. And I've always I've always thought about this. I mean, it's, and again, we can we can sort of wind down our time here. But I mean, it's it is a very libertarian issue um, in the sense of creating a free market, allowing that free market to thrive without. Al, you raised it. I mean, too much too much regulatory interference, too much government interference, um, and that kind of as politics does create strange bedfellows. Um, I, I do, Howard, want to want to wrap up. I mean, there. It seems about every other day we talk about whether or not this attorney general will still be the attorney general. Um, is there any? Is there anything that that you think could happen between, let's say, now and before they break for the break to campaign um, for the midterms? Anything that happened that could kind of change this entire dynamic? Well. The attorney general could not be the attorney general, uh, for for one thing. I, I, beyond that, I don't. I mean, I, as we always say, personnel is policy mm-hmm. on these calls. Um, so, so I think that that is the single biggest issue. And 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 by the way, um, Cory Gardner, Republican senator from Colorado, recently negotiated a deal with the president to. Um, Gardner was holding up some Department of Justice nominees because of the potential for federal enforcement against recreational use in Colorado. And Gardner cut a deal with the president that he would let his nominees go through the the um, the process of being confirmed only if the president agreed, which he did, to be hands off in, in Colorado. So. It's things like that that have the potential to happen along the way. Um, but I think Jeff Sessions being in or out is the single biggest um, thing that has the potential to move the needle. Well, and, and you I, I cannot resist observing that the president has a bad track record on honoring these deals that he cuts <laughs> with senators. Uh, so one other development would be the president keeping his word. And, that, that would be an influential development. Jim, were you going to say something of that? Were you going to say something of value? Well, speaking of the president keeping his word, nice work. The, the first 60 to 90 days, the president or, and or Jeff Sessions said he was going to look at medical marijuana and marijuana as a whole um, and sent shockwaves through the entire industry and, and really had concerns about going into states and shutting them down. Again, when you go through the statistics and look at the map, Someone finally told him that the overwhelming majority of, of the country, individually as voters, but even more so as states, would 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 fight you on this. And and to your point, that brings in the Republicans that deal with state rights, deals with Democrats who look at this as also a revenue opportunity, um, significant revenue opportunity, which is what I would argue that the senator from, from Colorado is. They collect more in taxing marijuana in Colorado than they do in taxes they collect on alcohol. That's with the largest microbrewery uh, uh, industry in the, in the industry yeah. in, the, in the country and course. Yeah, that says a lot. It so does. If, and, if, yeah. if that's important to them, now you know why it's so important to other states like Pennsylvania, who have much more a little bit of a, a budget pop- problem. A little bit. Well, most, <laughs> I mean, all, all states have ongoing budget yeah. problems, but Pennsylvania has the population 
not only within its borders, but the vicinity to additional population with New York City that would take those numbers that Colorado sees and blow them out of the water. Well, and Mark, to, 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 Jim's, to Jim's point, your, your friend Governor Phil Murphy, just across, across the river in New Jersey, has mm-hmm. come out and said, um, we will solve New Jersey's budget problems if we legalize recreational marijuana because of the projected tax revenue that he thinks it'll generate. And they got a really big budget problem. Right. And that is um, not a state's rights argument. That's no. a revenue argument. Yeah, right, right. It's not a libertarian get the government off my back. <laughs> it's, it's a show me the money. Yeah. Um, and, and, and from a revenue perspective, you're not going to have the conservatives, whether they're business or, or otherwise, saying we need to keep the tax rate low because you're going to stifle business. This is a sin tax. Let's tax the heck out of it. Democrats are fine with a higher tax rate. Conservatives are fine with a higher tax rate because they think it will suppress the utilization of it. It's it's a win-win for states. But just to come full circle right. to where we began, um, people in the industry, the cannabis industry in Pennsylvania, are watching New Jersey with trepidation because there's a fear that if New Jersey blows open the industry and it's full recreational, all recreational all the time, that that will sap the Pennsylvania market. But we have to remember that New Jersey can impact the Pennsylvania market only if people are willing to violate federal law, because all New Jersey can do is set up recreational in New Jersey, in New Jersey. and it will remain a federal law to drive over the Ben Franklin Bridge, right. buy cannabis, and bring it back to Pennsylvania. Right. So the whole thing, it always somehow comes back to it's a federal crime, and until that gets improved, if not removed, mm-hmm. uh, it it's hard to predict which way, which state's decisions will go. Well, and it's, I, I'm, I'm impressed that essentially, you know, we don't talk about the crime of bootlegging much anymore, so we can all go watch Smokey and the Bandit, and then we'll <laughs> refresh, refresh yeah, our yeah. recollection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, well, look, I, I certainly an issue that, that we here at Cozen O'Connor are are heavily involved in monitoring every day. Have been a part of the Pennsylvania process, but are considering this um, both at the state and the federal level. So there will be lots more to say about this. There will be many more developments. We've got 40 bills in in Congress. So so things things will happen, and I hope that I hope that everyone on the call will stay in touch with us. You can check out all of our work at CO Public Strategies. Um, .com. If you have comments, questions, criticisms of the moderator, which we always get, um, email those to presidentialanalysis um, at cozen.com. If there are specific questions or topics um, on this issue um, that we didn't get to, let us know. We're more than happy to follow up. Jim, Mark, Howard, Allie, always fun. Great to, great to be with you. We'll, we'll be having more spotlight calls, issue-specific calls. Um, as the year progresses, lots Lots to talk about and and lots to pay attention to. So for everyone who joined us today, thank you very much. And we'll uh, be back with another Spotlight call soon. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Blake. Great job.
Ladies and gentlemen, that does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation, and you can now disconnect your lines.